Hi, this is Rick Ryle. And Kurt Ryle from the Grip Weeds. Welcome to our podcast series, Vibrations from the House of Vibes. Kurt and I are not only musicians and members of the Grip Weeds, but we're also recording engineers and producers. In this podcast series, we discuss the happenings of the Grip Weeds, but also go in depth on how we do what we do, how we make our records, and those of other artists who we've worked with. We hope to bring you many fun and interesting episodes about the band and our approach to recording. And from time to time, we will have guests on the show, which brings us to this special episode, Smithereens, Jim Babjack, and HOV. Let's set the stage first and talk about how the Smithereens intersected our lives and our music. Why don't you say something about that, Rick? Sure. Uh in certain ways, you could say Jim Babjack is Big Daddy Gripweed in certain ways. Um, he's not only just one of the most wonderful, nicest human beings on the planet, uh, but he was, as I think you, you know, you've said many times, he was there from the beginning. Uh, it was His record store was a huge backdrop for the forming of the Gripweeds, not only because we met future members there and people who would come into the band or influence the band. But I remember first hearing uh, what was going to be especially for you, which, of course, is hugely influential for us, you know, musically. Uh, we heard the playback of maybe it was the mix or early mix in Jim's record store. And my thought to that was, this is like one of the best sounding things ever. This is mid-80s. This is fabulous. Too bad it's not going to catch on. <laughs> because, you know, what was happening in the mid-80s, all that synthy pop stuff and whatever. And I thought, oh, this is so good, but it's not going to catch on. And then, not too long after, uh, Blood and Roses. That's right. And, and, and there you go. And then they became a major act. And I was just right so in front of our thrilled eyes. that that happened. Right in front of our eyes. And it, it, gave, it gave me hope. Like, you can do the music you want. You know, so it was a huge, huge inspiration. Yeah, that's that's to say the least. Um, you know, as you just said, it was like the Smithereens gave us a roadmap. Exactly. And said, here's where yeah. you can go, and here's we came right out of New Brunswick, and here we are on the charts, and this is how you could do it. You know, and and we were really kind of lucky with our friendship with Jim in particular to kind of have a, a ringside seat. A lot of times. A lot of times, you yeah. Know, I remember seeing them at many different shows. Um, one time they were at uh, uh, just the, the huge um, East Rutherford um, Enormo yeah. Dome. Yes, they played they were big there arenas. Backing yeah. up Squeeze, and that was like a big I landmark saw that. show. I saw, uh, I don't know which, maybe it was the same one you, you were mentioning, where Squeeze opened. And oh, then, was the, I think it was the other way around. Oh, but, was it? Okay. But Somebody it doesn't opened really for, matter. They, did the, somebody opened, for, I don't know. And you know. the Smithereens opened for the Pretenders yes, at Radio that's City. Right. That's what I saw. Yeah, they, so, yeah. And, you know, and, and I saw them doing cool things like coming out into the audience while, while Jim would play his solo guitar and Blood yeah. and Roses walk out into the audience. I thought that was so amazing. Well, a really special band and, um, you know, very special to, the, to us, you know, as mentors I've, I've told Jim yeah. that you know he's like a, he's a mentor to, to all of us absolutely you know, and you he, know he's so generous yeah with him his time and uh, his energy and he's just a, a wonderful 
yes. person, giving and, person. Um, you know, we were lucky over the years to have had this relationship with him in such a way that we were just coming up and he was encouraging us. I would send him our, our demos, you know, here's, what do you think? And I'd get a response back from him. He'd, he'd go through it and he'd be like, yeah, it's really good. Don't you remember, and, you know, I think the first, what I might consider the major gig, first major gig we played as the Gripweeds you know, outside of doing things like uh, what was that club, the dinner club we played, you know, where we were first getting our stuff together. And, but, the, you know, when we finally had one or two or three originals in our set, mm. where we were starting to become a band that didn't just play covers, but played originals, and we got a chance to open for the Smithereens at the local court tavern in New Brunswick. It's our and first how exciting. Show uh, it was just um, unbelievable to be opening for them. That was the biggest crowd we'd ever Absolutely. played to yeah. up to that point. Exactly. And uh, it was, um, I remember that show so well. Uh, I remember that uh, we were so excited to play the court because that was one of our ambitions at the time. Well, because they played there. That was the cavern yeah. for the smithereens. Yeah. And it was also kind of ours. Where they learned how to play and right. developed their whole act. And we had seen, I was going into that club when I was underage and, you know, probably you took me in there <laughs> but uh but i remember them pulling up or their or their road crew pulling up they were on the road for green thoughts their second yes. album and this was a special thing they were doing to come back to their hometown and and uh, so they pull up and i remember a couple of semis like trucks pull up and they're loading out the gear and the gear's piling up on yeah, stage. Yeah, they pile up their the rig <clears throat> yeah. they use at large venues. Stacks of marshals. And they're putting it in into that little into court little tavern, court. I remember, which is like a basement. I remember watching the show and uh, probably a few songs in, the power completely went out. Yes. They had blown yeah. the power. I've never right. seen another band do that. So, we've got Jim on the show, don't we? Yeah, we do. Fabulous. So this is an interesting uh, guest we have here today on uh, Vibes at the House of Vibes. We have Jim Babjack from founding member of the Smithereens and uh, no stranger to the House of Vibes either. He's, um, he's been here many times over the years. And uh, actually, what I realized when I was thinking about this thing that we're doing today is uh, not only did you really help us put together my group, Gripweeds, but I, I think you were the first studio client mm -hmm. at House of Vibes. Yeah, uh, I think so, because yeah. you were still living at home, and uh, I remember recording some stuff in your bedroom. Yeah, it was Bedroom of Vibes. How old were you there? Uh, I was, well, I was living with my mom. So it teens? was early twenties. Oh, early twenties. Uh, yeah, I was. I was ready to get going, but um, <laughs> but I wasn't ready yet. Well, I uh, what happened was I didn't uh, buy a Fostex yet, and uh, to record some home demos, and I knew you had one, so I figured I got these ideas. I want to put them down before I forget them. Yeah, it's kind of like today, right? We're, we're working on <laughs> yeah. demos. Nothing's changed. That's true. That's Nothing true. Nothing changes. And I have my place here on the couch yeah. when, when Arrow's not sitting there. Arrow, the studio dog. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, just to uh, to get into things here, um, uh, 
It's funny because we we go so far back. Uh, I'm wondering if if uh, if you remember this. The, one of the first times I walked into the the store you used to own, um, I think it was Flaming Groovies. Even before it was a video store, right? right. And uh, uh, I, I I probably brought an album up to the counter, and um, I saw that the, that you had a, a display for the Smithereens' Beauty and Sadness, which was your second EP. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Oh, this looks kind of cool." Um, you know, and it was on sale. So I'm like, you know, what if it would, and I said, and see if you remember this, I said, um, well, do you remember what I said? No. You don't. But I was trying to oh. sell the record to everybody that walked into the store. So I said, if I don't like it, can I return it? What did I say? You said, sure. Oh, well, that I was nice of it. me. Yeah, I know. I, I thought so too. It was one of the reasons I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's funny. Yeah. So. No, I, I get a lot of uh, Facebook uh, messages of people that were in the store. It's kind of funny to see the names. I, I still remember some of them and that are still ordering merchandise from the Smithereens store. Yeah. And it's really charming, and it's great that uh, these people are still fans. <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, you had a lot to do with the Gripweeds getting together, and, and uh, we're still a lot of people in our circle are fans of the Smithereens and go back to the early days of the Smithereens, and as we do. And uh, it's just kind of interesting how, how, how uh, you know, I think uh, Kristen uh, has called you like the matchmaker. Uh-huh. There's a lot of like couples that came about because of either you or the Smithereens, which is kind of funny. I was thinking about that the other <clears throat> day because Mitch, who sometimes Mitch Gerwitz, yeah. interns for you, him and uh, his wife met at my store. And I was there that day and I remember it. Yeah. But I was just thinking the other day, if my car hadn't been stolen in New York, because um, after my car got stolen, I used the insurance money to open up the store. Hmm. And I'm thinking, if my car wasn't stolen, Mitch and Margaret's daughter might not have been born. You know, Isn't that weird? It is weird. To think about stuff yeah. like and that. And the gripweeds may not have formed. Right. You I know? was thinking about that, too. So it's kind of like, you know, just to personalize it for for us here and that led you know us uh forming led to us uh opening the studio or at least starting it and then making it a commercial thing you yeah. know you could trace it all back to you if, if you want <laughs> i'm giving you a it, lot. it was a fun store it was a fun <laughs> it was. store it was a fun time too and like those I, times in new brunswick and back in the 80s yeah, and I still get messages saying how I, I shaped people's musical tastes by recommending not just yeah. not, not our stuff, but other records that were out at the time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, you did that for me actually. That you were a tastemaker. Oh, and I've been telling people that. <laughs> so uh, I've spoken very highly of you on on the airwaves. Oh, golly! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I do want to get back to that the the idea of the store and listening to stuff but i want to just go before we do that mm. i want to go in sequence here a little bit um the, the first ep the the smithereens put out was girls about town mm-hmm. and um if you listen to that album which i'm sure you have is uh or the listeners if you if you have it, it's hard to get i think it's on a reissue or something somewhere which one? The Girls About Town? Girls About Town EP. Is that available? No. Ooh. Isn't there one song or something on From Jersey uh, It Came or something? Is oh, it? Got Me a Girl, or, maybe? Yeah, there or, might be something. Or, or the title track. Or the title track. There, I know there's something out there. And isn't Girl <laughs> Girl Don't Tell Me? Oh, yeah, on the covers That's album. That's on the covers album. So there are 
some songs. There's one missing. Uh, Girls were like that. Uh, yeah, we we'll probably put it out as a single reissue on some yellow vinyl or something. I mean, I'm not going to get too specific on you, but Girls About Town always struck me as just like this new wave kind of record. Yeah. And do you remember what the circumstances were that you recorded it? And, you know, how did it sound? It sounds of the time. And Yeah. You know? Yeah. What, does, what, what does, can you remember? It does sound a bit dated. I just remember going in there and we just knocked out the songs. Um, and they were all new songs that... that we were working on i Mm -hmm. i remember coming up with a riff for uh got me a girl and i played that on my brand new rickenbacker 12 string that i bought at manny's with my unemployment money (laughs) (laughs) see it all starts Uh, with nothing yeah starts with that we started in a my mother's bed my bedroom at my mother's house with nothing and we built it up we don't have much anyway but here we are still yeah so So, uh, we're all still doing this and (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so this is before I owned the record store and I was unemployed. So um, I remember that, and uh, I think I used... Oh, I had a Stratocaster then, so I used my Stratocaster and the Rickenbacker. And um, yeah, it's it's primitive, Yeah, but it's charming. No, it's charming, and it, it does, in a way, it kind of holds up somehow. I guess the songs or something. But uh, I, I seem to recall... I, <laughs> Not saying it's my idea, but I think I said let's pick the four songs with the girl girl in the title, and I think it was my idea. See, this is the information that because <laughs> we had want. other songs at the time, <clears throat> and uh, don't want to lose you was one of them too. <clears throat> and off the first album, well, we re- we recorded it for the first album years yeah. later, like right. six years later. But um, yeah, so anyway, uh, I don't really remember much from that session. Um, except, uh, yeah, what I used, yeah. uh, the guitars and that's it. So moving <laughs> on to the next one, which I purchased directly from you mm-hmm. on sale, uh, beauty and sadness that, uh, I know from the, the sleeve you, you worked with Alan Betrock and it was, was that in New York? Was that at record plant? Yeah. We snuck into the record plant like at night when it wasn't being used sometimes after midnight and jim ball was the engineer who was great we used him later on for the especially for you album and the green thoughts record but um alan betrock we had met through well because of marshall crenshaw alan produced marshall's independent ep on i think alan's label shake records something's gonna happen something's gonna happen that's right good song and (laughs) it's a funny story with that um we were trying to get him to produce us and he wasn't really interested so we set up a showcase at cbgb's and i remember it was snowing out it was really bad snow and i had a 69 barracuda at the time which was really slippery but anyway uh, he wasn't returning the calls so i said to pat let's let's just go to his apartment knock on the door and (laughs) and drive him over to cbgb's to see us play 
And we did that. Pat and I actually went over to his apartment. Gorilla A&R. <laughs> knocked on his door, made him come to the show. Wow. At CBGB's. And, um, See, that was back in the days, in the old <laughs> days, it was a contact thing. You, you called somebody on the phone. If you didn't call him on the phone, you saw him in person. Nowadays, it's all texts and yeah. know, email. It's, and people can hide. And it doesn't sound like, you know, really, he could hide. So it was the first time I was really ghosted before the term was around. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but that was a ballsy move. And yeah. we, we did other ballsy things in, in the that was, later That was Bedrock? Yeah, that was Alan wow. Bedrock. So you, you guys got his interest, obviously, because he Yeah, then he, he came and, and we recorded it. continue into that that kind of like a couple years later that the session started for especially for you with with that setup right yeah except alan Alan wasn't uh involved with that at that point he wasn't no it was just jim ball and we 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 were producing that what happened was we were rejected by every label out there so we decided just since we have the record plant available to us when we snuck in (laughs) uh pretty much for free oh my god and um we we decided we're going to record an album, an independent album. So yeah. especially for you, started out as um, you know it was going to be another independent project, and we got through six songs, and Blood and Roses and Behind the Wall of Sleep was was two of them, and we sent those out to all the record companies, and we were still rejected. And no vision. When you think about it, yeah, it's pretty <clears throat> crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No vision. That's no right. vision. <laughs> you got to have vision. Yeah. You know, but um, no, I mean, that, that uh, talking about especially for you and your store, that's when there was a time when you played me that or us, we came in as a, as a group mm-hmm. of friends, probably my brother was there, Rick, and uh, you played us the album in the store yeah and you're like i don't know what's gonna happen and, i didn't you know i remember it was winter time it was snowing um so i don't know where that puts that when i actually heard it but it had to be after january because i think the we don <clears throat> dixon was mixing uh well then don came so in. that was i was going to ask about don yeah you know, well so how he got involved we they were still mixing on new year's eve okay. so it was that's when it was done, New Year's Eve of 1985. Okay, so it's probably around that time that I actually heard maybe close to the finished version, or even I heard it in January, who knows. Yeah. But I, I remember it was something I'll never forget, because I heard that album, and I just thought instantly, for whatever I knew, I thought, this has got something. This is interesting. This is just great. And if it's not, who knows what a hit is, but, 
you know, if it's not going to be successful, there's something wrong in the world. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was just that vibe. And, um, and six months later, right across the street, or, or walking down the street in Easton Avenue, Hands Across America was happening. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to that event, which was this thing where everybody yeah. held hands in a chain. And uh, that was 86. And um, on the way, Blood and Roses was on WNEW, which was the preeminent New York City station. That was a it major was like, oh, thing. They've made it, you know. And, and so it was not long after that that's, that it, the whole thing came together. Yeah, that's when I felt it was really happening. But yeah. but when we first recorded it, you know, you look at the charts and it's Madonna, Michael Jackson, mm. and I'm like, this is nobody's gonna want to buy this record. Yeah. But then, you know, because NEW picked it up, it snowballed. played in all these stations all over the country and i said really that's uh that's that's great that's great (laughs) you know i had no idea uh until i heard it myself on new one time like wow this is sounds really what did that feel like to you know you're hearing something like that you know bands are always asked that like the beatles were asked wow we heard ourselves on the radio we started cheering you know what what did you yeah i was really excited because it sounded better than uh my cassette at home, I guess, because they, they add something to it. Some re- I don't know what well, they Well, the add. radio adds a little bit of limiting. It, just it sounded makes it, so makes much it sound better. larger than life. You it know? was, and it, it was... It sounded like a record. And it sounded odd, like, what am I doing on the radio? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, it was really cool. Cool moment. It was like that movie, th- that thing you do when they heard it for yeah, the first time. Yeah, you're on the road, and all of a sudden, wow! Yeah, so overnight so, success after six yeah. years, <laughs> right? So, so into that album, um, the the recording of it, I would say that, or the, uh, let me say the sound of it first. I'd say especially for you, just somehow encapsulates the, the smithereen sound. It's that the guitar, heavy guitars, the cracking drums, the Pat's vocal. The, the songs it had everything all on that album mm-hmm. and it just somehow in enca- uh, encompassed or defined the smithereen yeah sound. Uh, the, the stars were aligned yeah but i mean what i'm wondering about that is you know when you were in the studio how did you approach that record um when you had the songs maybe you were playing them live mm-hmm. uh you walk into the studio and put on your guitar and then what like how do you get from your your basic sound to that incredible sounding record 
how can you do you know how that happened? Because it's it's a sound, you know. I, I think it's because we'd been playing the songs, most of them live, for years. And when you think about it, we've been together for six years at that point. Yeah, it's sort of like a greatest hits album because mm. there's all. I think in a lonely place might have been the only new one. I think that was the only new one. Well, that's, what, that's what happens to bands when they first get an album, all their material before it's that. The is, best, it's yeah. the best of the best, and the second album is the hardest to make. But um, Yeah, so, and then, you know, there were little things like uh, I needed a heavier sound for Behind the Wall Sleep, so somebody had a, there was a, a Les Paul sitting around, and I, I asked the engineer, Jim Ball, I said, can I use that? And he says, yeah, sure. I don't even know who it belonged to, but I plugged it in into a Marshall, and it's like, yeah. This, yeah, that's it. That's it. And yeah. then I think I did the solo on the Rickenbacker. Uh, so um, behind the wall, sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was just a great studio. I mean, think of all the people that recorded there. You know, Lennon. Yeah, among many. Yeah, you know, right there is enough for me. Yeah, but uh, uh, you know, we can, let me ask you about um, Blood and Roses because mm-hmm. I've heard, I've read that that. I think I've just read it, but you know, knowing you, I could have asked you anytime I wanted. But um, the solo for that, what I've read is that it wasn't written. It was, you know, you didn't really know what you were going to do, and you just kind of let it rip. What was the story about when you were? Okay, you did the bass. I'm assuming for people that don't know, in 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 the studio when you record in a modern way, uh, most bands put down a basic track. Uh, of a you know two guitars bass drums probably mm-hmm. and then overdub stuff like vocals or backing vocals and solos and riffs and things and percussion that's kind of the way we do things modern in a modern way um so back then i'm assuming that you know you didn't do the solo with the band or did you uh oh yeah we recorded it live so the solo was just right on the well basic track no, we we had rehearsed that song, uh, and we we might have. I think we played it out too, mm. but um, the solo, yeah. I mean, I came up with it on the spot. But the second part of the solo, I had already had. I was working on on a song, uh, using that riff, um, in the seventies. So the second part of the solo is just a rehash of something I already had. The first part, I just wanted to come in with something exciting and just come come out of the gate running like like a horse race or something, you know. Da, 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 da. But the, to make it exciting. But when we actually <clears throat> started recording it, because uh, like I said, we had rehearsed it in in Pat's basement and uh, we were playing it out live. But there was somebody in the studio. I don't remember who it was. When we when I was recording it, I just kept going da 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 like that. I didn't stop and then go into the other part, and and um, I took a second stab at it because somebody in the studio said, "You need to make it sound angrier," and I'm like, "What?" Now was that recorded with Don or was that before Don? No, it was before. That was you guys were producing yourselves. Pat Pat was producing it. He was up Mm -hmm. in the booth, and it was just the three of us. Yeah, Pat always liked to do that. He liked to he delegate. He liked to be in the he liked to be in the booth. I we when we did our albums here with 
with you guys. That's what he liked to do. Yeah, but he, you know, he could never tell me what to do because, like, like you Nobody know, because you know, I'm I'm not a good listener and I. I can't follow direction. I just kind of have to do what I do. We've we've taken to calling Jim a rogue. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. He just does what Jim does. You, you got the Jim button on your guitar. And that Hit that button. That's kind of what it is with Jim. Wind him up. Don't tell him what to do. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Actually, what I know from, from working with you is put you in a good mood. Set the, set the conditions so that you can create... Maybe even give you a beer and then let you find it. And usually, you know, a few laughs later, <laughs> maybe an hour, maybe not, maybe one take. But we get into a groove. Yeah. And I, is that the way it was back then? I don't know. Yes. As a matter of fact, for that, that Button Roses solo, which I, I redid from the original uh, one. So there was a guy in the studio that... Um, said it's got to be angrier so who was the, that guy i don't remember who the guy was so but there were some beers laying around so <laughs> i downed three beers ah there we go and i said okay this might put me in the mood <laughs> so they run the track and i go da, 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 down, and i just slide off the fucking guitar and um oh can we fucking curse <clears throat> yeah okay so <laughs> it'd be a big beep over it, but sorry about that <laughs> um yeah, so that's how that happened, and it was just—it was a great take. It, and then I also—that was a spur of the moment thing, which I didn't do at rehearsal with the toggle switch at the end of the solo, where it just kind of faded out while the bass line was mm -hmm. still going. Oh yeah, I, uh, 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 yeah, and I, I thought at the time, oh my god, this is cliche, but I'm glad I left it in. Cliche of what? The who? Right. You know, yeah, because back then nobody was doing it. Nobody was, you know, that's that's what you do. You got to uh, so okay, right there, that was your Rickenbacker, right? Yeah, and it's it was perfect for that. Was that the seventy one? The um, yeah, seventy two burgundy one. Yeah, the burgundy glow. The, the yeah. Rickenbacker, the the important one. Yeah, the talisman, as I yeah, call it. Yeah, so that was the one. And on a Rick, that's what you can do with that switch. Yeah, it's, that's why Townsend loved it. Yeah, the mm. first two album. I don't think he did that after that because he was playing a Rick on that. And later on, he was using Gibsons or Fenders even. And yeah. You don't do that on those guitars, what, right? I, I probably learned it from anywhere, any way, anyhow, yeah. you know. It's just, you know, great, great sound. Yeah. So that's a good story. Um, so question about Don Dixon. What do you think, before I ask you the question but about Don Dixon, um, I will say that Pat, when I was working with Pat, and we would discuss things um about producers and stuff and he would talk about i, I think it, it probably came about because we had an issue on a track on a smithereens track that i was working on with you guys and we needed a solution and pat just came up with well you know when we worked with dixon uh you know he see he sees a problem like a um you know it's a big wall mm -hmm. that you can't you know and and some uh, producers try to get over that wall. They try to climb the wall over mm -hmm. the problem. Yeah. And he says he just goes around it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what what do you think of Don's style of production? Like you, you've worked with that with Don on some of your I would call you know your most important records to to me. Um, mm -hmm. I mean he he's a very important producer to the Smithereens and and you've worked with him time. And time again. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, you know, like, wh what 
is his style that you could you know put well a finger uh, on. one thing is that he 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 liked to mix as we we were going along so we were kind of hearing almost a full picture as we were recording and um you know we we recorded the the band live obviously and uh uh he's great he was great at uh figuring out harmonies on the piano and uh well he's a solo artist and so he was a real sort of musician in his own right putting out records yeah. Right, he had, re- he had a record deal of his own. And and he was open to any idea I had. I, I would say, Don, let me try this. And he goes, all right, go ahead. You know, and, and I go, how's that? And he says, well, we're keeping it. <laughs> so uh, Good ears. It, he, uh, he let us do, he didn't tell us what to do. Yeah. I mean, that. Uh, well, I, you being a rogue, that seems very. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but he was great. Yeah, don't. Maybe I do sometimes. <laughs> no, he, he was great at arranging, um, you know, things. Uh, and uh, like, I, I, you know, when Pat would come up with a song, and I wouldn't necessarily want to put a solo in, but Pat would say, Well, here's a blank spot. I need you to put a solo in there. Like, okay, thanks. Now I gotta, well, that's what you do. Now I got to make some shit up. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was telling you this before, um, before we had this interview, but, um, you know, the, I think that your guitar to, uh, I would say a casual fan. I mean, I'm not a casual fan, but when you think about like what people listen to, it's usually they'll listen to that vocal and then they listen to the guitar solo. Cause those are like the, prominent uh sounds on a record Mm -hmm. drums and bass you know they go along and they're in the background and if you're you know into that you'll pick them up and that's no you know diss on the other guys or anything but i think that your guitar is so central to the sound of the band um you know just to the the first uh blush when you hear a song oh wow that guitar cool solo you know you're so central to the sound of the yeah. group or the opening you know? riff for that matter. opening riff yeah it's like the trademark huh. you know what i mean as much as pat's voice or you know you could say mike's bass every everybody in the band is so important obviously oh yeah you yeah. know um but we have you here so <laughs> but you know the, the way i play uh reflects on what what dennis does and what mike does um, I feed off them, yeah, and uh, that's what really makes the sound. Uh, it's not just me at all. Uh, it's it's playing with them that creates it, and forces me to come up with stuff. It's like um, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a sixth sense or something. No, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> was doing a, a TV show called Seventh Inning Stretch. Yes, the baseball documentary yeah. thing. Yeah. And they needed some music. And uh, they, they had a very tiny budget, so they really couldn't afford their own recordings to use, you know, yes. for like you. 
but so so that led them to go we need to re-record our like our hits they actually re-recorded their material the the idea was for them to make almost a replica of the original recording so that they could use it because it being a different recording technically that would give them the right to use their own music. Yeah, and so they would also get the money from, yes. uh, say, the mechanicals. You know, people listening might not from know a placement that. on TV. You know, they own, the record labels own the original recording, but if you made another recording of that music, they don't own that. That's so, right. It's a wholly different yeah. recording. So they came into House yes. of Vibes uh, at that time to record re-recorded versions of their hit songs. So that was literally the bedrock for me of. Smithereens 101. Take uh, Blood, Blood and Roses. Take um, Behind the Wall of Sleep. Anyone you want to pick. And I had to match those tones, the performance, the sound, the vibe. Yeah, so I had to match it. Well, here's where you know I gave Jimmy a nice plug, you know, because he's great. I'm going to give you a plug now because <laughs> you won't do it yourself. My my brother basically was given the job to replicate the Smithereens legendary recordings that they had done in major studios for hundreds of thousands of dollars for major labels. They come in here and they're like, Kurt, just mimic this. Recreate this so we can use it. But, you know, don't fuck this up, right? (laughs) right? So my brother, Kurt here, unbelievably... And, and any, by the way, this is why you should come record here, <laughs> whether I'm here or not. Like, if you get me, it gets cherry on the cake there, because I had my own thing. But K- Kurt's here all the time, and he's unbelievable. And listen back to back. Listen to the <clears throat> versions of the Smithereens hits recorded by House of Vibes. I walked in here today to do our podcast. He plays one of them. Well, we're going to do it right now. And I didn't know <laughs> that this... I thought it was the original. I, yeah, and that's the original, right? Here's a, no. here's a little sampling yeah. uh, <laughs> of what we're talking about that were recorded by me here uh, at House of Vibes. I used to travel in the shadows and I never found a net to try to walk to you. So that brings that's to unbelievable. My- <laughs> that that's unbelievable. You know, like yeah, if you put them back to back, you're gonna hear some differences. But man, that's in the same universe. Well, that's what I, they wanted, and what I wanted. Right. So and what a you know what a learning experience for you. What's really funny is 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 that, um, girl like you, for instance, to get that big guitar sound. The a song right. that was a big, huge hit big, huge on MTV, hit. I remember so well. So, 
I'm talking to Pat. Like, you don't no. get that big, huge guitar intro. You failed. Yeah. So I said, Pat, how did you guys get that? Well, what did you do? And he goes, well, I don't know. I don't know. I just why took a you, microphone up to the Why don't you talk to Ed? Oh, Ed, did Ed you Stasium. Ta- did you talk to I got Ed? his number. He calls him. He goes, hey, how you doing, Ed? Oh, uh, I didn't know this. We're working on a re-recording. And why don't you talk to Kurt? So I go, hey, Ed. Uh, we met a long time ago. You won't remember me, but how'd you get that sound on Girl Like You? And he goes, uh, I think it was just a 57 SM57. SM57 microphone, right in front of not Marshall. one of the more expensive. Oh, my and, Right uh, in front of the Marshall. And sure enough, I said, you mean right in front, no other mics? And yeah, right in front, probably that. So I did it, and sure enough, that was what it was. But so it was simple. more than one guitar. Oh, of course. a couple of them. So simple. But yeah. it was the dumbest, not dumbest in but the dumb you, way, you, uh, but you most would effective. expect, oh, they probably had three mics, one in, you know, one in the back of the room, and one over yeah. here, and one over there. And, and they did some trick. Yeah, no, they it was just the, the most obvious. this and sent it out to this and that. And, you know, because you can, you, can you can do that sometimes in studios. Like, you know. You can yeah. get you can get overly fancy and complicated, and it's really great when you can get what you need in the quickly. simplest way possible. Because then it's you can nice. move on to do the next thing. Yeah, you know. So that that's my big memory from that. And having met Ed was kind of neat. Yes, know, to, very to, neat. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy you know, too. To um, and and we've uh, continued a, a relationship. He's actually referred artists to me, which is nice. So that's kind of cool. The Washington, anywhere you are, run together. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I remember time and time again. Uh, that's a song on that album that's really special to me because, well, it was just the three of us playing. Pat was in the booth, and uh, wow, I just thought I'd put a solo at the end of the song, and just and I thought it was going to be a fade, so I just threw everything but the kitchen sink <laughs> into that ending, just. Go you know, playing whatever the hell was on my mind, uh, just totally made up, and because thinking that it's just going to fade out, nobody's ever going to hear it. <laughs> and then when I went into the booth, Don's like, "We're keeping that." Yeah. And I go, "You mean all the way to the end?" And he goes, "Yeah, <laughs> it's not a fade anymore." Right. So I I, I really re- I remember that very well, and that was uh, really special. Well, I, I think it's really good in a, in a, when you're making a record not to have too much preconceived ideas, because you know, like that, for instance, I'm I'm sure Don was like, eh, he wouldn't have known what you guys were going to do, and all of a sudden, you know, it made sense. That's it, you know. And you're looking for those things that yeah that um, the magic in the, the magic that like you capture, and and wow. That's something that people are going to like. If know? he didn't, if that wasn't on tape, I wouldn't be able to do it again the same way. Right. It's impossible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. So it became, yeah, that's another thing I think that happens. Um, it definitely happens with my group is before you make the record, you know, you're, you're kind of working out the song to record it. Mm-hmm. Then you make the record yeah. and it becomes like, it's like casting a die, you know, and you, you create this sculpture. And then that becomes what you, that's like the gold standard of what you perform after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, not that you're necessarily totally copying it, but maybe you're trying to stay true to it, mm-hmm. the recording. Uh, would you say that that's what you guys try to do or when you play live? Uh, live, I, um, 
I, now I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if I'm trying to play it like the record or just, well, see, live, I, I feed off the audience. Mm-hmm. So, man, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I, what you just said, though, is like, you know, you you learned, you kind of remembered the song because it was somebody pressed, pressed record, and now it's there, so you can you can kind of, you know interpret it your own way now but at least you have that as a reference yeah yeah um i think that's that's what you know a good band um like i consider recording you know it's it's almost sometimes that the song has a life maybe it's born when when it's recorded when, when it's released it's born and then when you play live you're kind of the song is living yeah, it evolves. And it evolves. Sometimes it evolves in ways you don't expect. And, you know, things happen. Um, and they, I think they should because that kind of keeps the song, like, uh, alive. Yeah. You know? And I don't want to change too much. Like, I don't want to do what, um, let's say, Clapton did with uh, Layla, Layla on, on MTV Unplugged. Fine, but, you know, I... Uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's, uh, what do they call that? I, I, I don't know. Um, well, I, I guess it was good for, for unplugged and, uh, yeah. and I, I, a lot of people liked it. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I try to be faithful to the record, but, but like, the, like you said, it, it changes, it, ev- it evolves. Yeah, from what mm-hmm. I've seen of you guys, and I've seen a lot of live shows, especially since 1986, and there's always, you know, the the, it, the live thing, it becomes three-dimensional. You know, the record is, is um, you know, if you could just think about it coming through the speakers, and then you see the band, and, and all of a sudden it, you get the, it, the, you know, anything can happen. <laughs> and here's, you know? here's something I never would have thought of myself, but we had a manager at the time, uh, when the first album came out and he said um you know you got to extend these endings and do guitar solo and i'm like what so i gotta make up more stuff now <laughs> come on <laughs> haven't so, i done enough and it stuck to this day at the end of blood and roses i play an extended jam and time and time again is extended only a memory is extended um But then I'm like, you know what? This has to stop. I can't extend every song. Uh, Some songs just need to end. (laughs) Yeah. But I I think maybe there's three or four that do that. And um, and in the house we used to live in, uh, for some reason I add, I started adding, um, what is it, Underture or Overture from Tommy? The Overture. The Overture. It just seems to fit. Oh, Sparks. Yeah. Uh, It just seemed to fit. Uh, well, that, yeah, that that was, um, you know, that was during the days when we were doing the tribute records in, in uh, the two thousands. Yeah, uh, at two thousand up. up um, oh, but that was different. I didn't do the Sparks thing yet in the yeah. house. No, when we did the okay, we uh, we recorded the live album. Yeah, um, at that the was court. different. That was just a long jam. And I remember that because Pat came into the studio with the Allman Brothers live album and he's like you know I really want us to do some jamming yeah <laughs> and I'm like oh okay you know um so uh well you 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 kept the best parts because that song was probably 25 minutes long because yeah. uh we cut out a lot from that jam that was a uh, smithereens live in concert 
right? Yeah. That was 2008, I think. Eight, something like that. proud of that record because it's the length of what a CD will hold. We just packed that with music. There's, I think, two leftover songs that wouldn't fit on Yeah, that. exactly, because we just ran out of time. I think In a Lonely Place might be one of them and something Definitely. else. Uh, you know, what I remember about House Cigarette. Used to Live In, it, yeah, Cigarette. House Used to Live In, you know, we're jamming, right? And it's sounding great. And then Pat pulls out a harmonica. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> what am I going to... So, but we were feeding off but each it other. it was cool. Yeah, it really worked. Yeah, it was, re it was a real jam. Like, uh, it was just making stuff up on the spot. Thanks for tuning in to part one of episode four of Vibrations at the House of Vibes, The Smithereens, Jim Babjack, and HOV. Feel free to continue on with the story in part two. We'll see you there.